Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for bringing us here again where we can study your word. Please give us your Holy Spirit and please be with us now. Um, please help us to understand your truth and to learn practical knowledge that can help us in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, we are heading to John chapter 7. So you can go there in your Bibles. John chapter 7. So we've gone through the first few chapters of John so far. Um, we just read last week um, about feeding of the 5,000 um, and Jesus walking on water. And so we're going to jump into chapter 7. Um, and we'll deal with some um, some background as we go through, but um, yeah, we're kind of quite deep into Jesus' uh, ministry at the moment. Um, so, you know, he's done quite a lot of miracles. He's been in Galilee. Um, you know, there's quite a buzz around Jesus and like a lot of people are talking about him um, and know him at this point. He's not a new figure when it comes to um, Jesus, who wouldn't be of a, a new herb, you'd be like Jesus. I haven't heard that name before at this point. This is like well into his ministry. Um, in fact, I think there is not long left until um, Jesus gets crucified, although we are still relatively early in John. So um, we can start reading from verse one and then we will kind of stop and discuss as we go through. Um, is it um, John 7? Yeah, John 7, chapter, um, verse 1. Okay. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he could not walk in Jerry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Cool. All right. Does anyone know what the feast of tabernacles is? Anyone heard of the Feast of Tabernacles? Anyone want to guess what the Feast of Tabernacles might be given the name? Uh, feast. No, go on. <laughs> so again, sir? Was it Passover? Um, it was actually not Passover. It was before Passover. Passover is kind of near the start of the year. This was right at the end of the year. Um, Passover is kind of near Easter kind of time, um, kind of springtime. So this is near the end of the Jewish year. Um, but yeah, not past. It's actually um, just after the Day of Atonement. Um, but do you know what it signified? I mean, it's kind of in the name. Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah, was anything to do with the sanctuary? Cool, right? So when did when the sanctuary um, and the tabernacle? When was that put in place? When when did God give the Israelites the tabernacle? Um, 
was that not back in Exodus? Cool, back in Exodus, right? So they're going through the, the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then God says, I want to be with you and to live amongst you in the camp. So they create this tabernacle, which is um, the sanctuary, um, which mirrors heaven. And this Feast of Tabernacles was to celebrate and commemorate their mission through the wilderness and God taking them through the wilderness um, to come to the promised land. So um, what basically used to happen is there was, I think, three um, main feasts that Jews had to like come um, and travel for. There was other feasts during the year, but these there were main, three main feasts that they had to travel for and Feast of Tabernacles was, was one of them. And it was almost like, um, it was almost like camp because what they would have to do is they would get like branches um, and stuff like that and make kind of huts outside because you had to be outside during the Feast of Tabernacles so that you could see the stars. And so you'd be able to see like the stars through the branches and it would almost be like camping. Um, and, you know, it would be quite a fun time. I'm sure the kids probably liked it. Um, family um, would be around. A lot of people would be coming into Jerusalem to do this. You'd either like build it in the street or you build it on the roof or you build it in the temple. Um, and, you know, people, you know, there'd just be literally like kind of lamps and, and huts um, for want of a better word everywhere. So, Feast of Tabernacles. Um, it used to, it usually lasted about eight days. So it would start on one Sabbath, run through the week and then um, finish on the second Sabbath. Um, and so you'd have two rest days starting and finishing and then you would be able to celebrate um, throughout the middle of the week. So that is the Feast of Tabernacles. So everyone is usually pretty pumped to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. That's one of the, the circles you mark in your calendar at the start of the year. So first three. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. That's cool. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Cool. So who's talking now? He's talking, it says at the start of verse three. Come on guys, you guys gotta be talking to me more than this. Jesus's brothers, cool. Right, who are Jesus's brothers? Is that not referring to the apostles? So interestingly, um, although they may share the same sentiment as the apostles, it's not actually referring to the apostles. Um, it's actually referring to Jesus' um, half-brothers, right? So the sons of Joseph. Um, who, does anyone know the names of Jesus' brothers? 
both um i think there was three but two of them wrote um wrote books in the new testament james and john james is one of them i think john actually in fact yeah john as well but um there's one more wrote the second to last or the penultimate book of the New Testament. Jude. Jude, right? Also known as Judas, who shortened his name to Jude after um, Judas Iscariot portrayed Jesus, right? So um, James, Jude, um, maybe John as well, maybe a few of the disciples, um, they tell Jesus, they're, it's almost like they're preparing to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, they're getting their stuff together, getting kind of excited, and Jesus is, is chilling. And they're like, what, you're not coming with us? Like, you say, you, you say you're the son of God, you've got all these marvellous works, like, if you are, go prove it. You know, go, go to Jerusalem and, and do the things that you've been doing in Galilee. And what, is verse, um, what does verse 5 say? When neither did he, oh, sorry, when neither did his brethren believe in him, then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always, always ready. Cool. So verse five basically says what his brothers didn't believe him. Yeah. yeah. So they're telling him to go to Jerusalem and go to the um, tab, a Feast of Tabernacles, knowing that there'll be a lot of people there because mm. they themselves were a bit... Um, weren't were converted they didn't really they didn't believe it and they had been with Jesus all of this time his brothers especially probably been with him a lot of their lives and yet they still weren't too they weren't too um, on it yet yeah hmm. um, funnily enough obviously they do become they do down the line so much so that they've all written books um, and James was actually the leader of the church in Acts um, of Jerusalem but at this point yeah, they don't believe. So they're like, look, Jesus, go um, go down to Jerusalem. We kind of want to see it, um, but show all the people as well. We're trying to promote you, not really, but we're trying to promote you. Go and um, if you're really about it, go preach in Jerusalem. They also want, or thinking of Jesus as a bit of a revolutionary. So if you go there and you collect followers and all the rest of it, then you know your power will increase. Right. We obviously know Jesus wasn't really on that um, on that mindset. So verse six we've already read says what? It says my time is not yet come, but yours is always ready. All right, what is he saying? He's saying like you you do that, isn't it? <laughs> you do it. What have you ever thought, right? Jesus um, was how old when he started his ministry? I think it was like thirty, no? Thirty, yeah. So have you ever thought to yourself, I know I thought this before, you know what, Jesus was 30 when he started his, um, his ministry. Before that, he was chilling. You know what, let me just, um, I'm still, I'm not 30 yet. I've still got a few years to go. Um, there's no rush to be trying to preach or trying to do X, Y, Z. Let me just wait till, you know, we're trying to follow Jesus' example and all that. Let me wait till 30. Has anyone thought that before? Hmm. Um... Maybe not as, as direct as that, but something along them lines, probably, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't, I def, I've definitely had that thought before, right? Mm. Well, obviously, because I, sh- I should have been doing more than I was, right? Yeah. Um, so, but this is saying, look, Jesus is saying that my time's not ready, but yours is always ready. So you should be, you should be preaching for me from a long time. So mm. this idea of oh let's wait till we're thirty isn't isn't the idea. Jesus waited till he was thirty because he knew that he only really could last three years before the people killed him. Mm. And so Jesus' ministry was 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 um, where it was for a reason. And we we know that throughout even his this three years he was quite tentative to be in Jerusalem a lot um, because the Jews were trying to kill him. Um, and so you know. When he says our time is always ready, um, are we really, you know, are we, are we going and doing God's business from now? You know, we've, there's always opportunities to, to spread the word, and we're going to kind of cover that a bit more in a bit. Right. So, verse seven: The world cannot hate you, but me it hates because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up into the feast, into this feast. I go not up to, um, yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. Cool. What is Jesus saying there? Um, he's saying that, like, like the people that go, they're not going to be the real subject of the criticism. It's going to be about um, him. Yeah, for sure. If you go as yourself, you know, the world's not going to hate you because you're part of the world. Yeah, yeah, but if you go in my name, then who they're hating is really me. So ultimately, like either way, you're not going to be hated. Mm. Yeah, that if, if anyone's going to be hated, it's me for this. So, um, so you shouldn't have any issue. The chapter is chapter seven, um, John chapter seven. Um, so yeah, so go up to the feast, um, and I not yet or come unto the feast for my time is not yet come. What was he talking about? Under his time is not yet come. Um, that part I'm not sure yet. He says it twice here, and when you know the Bible repeats itself, it's usually pretty significant. But what? what and he said it also um, already in one of our previous studies when he tells Mary when she says, "Oh, the wine's finished." She says, "Woman, don't worry, uh, like, why are you asking me? My time has not yet come." If you remember that. That verse. So why is Jesus saying my time is not yet come? Um, like it's not the time yet for him to die on the cross. Cool. It's not yet time for him to die on the cross. Why is he worried that you know him going to Jerusalem would lead to that? Because then that would be the end. He won't be able to reach anybody alive. So again, Sasha, sorry. That when he has died, that will be it. He won't be able to witness or care or heal anybody. He okay. So you're saying basically, if he went to Jerusalem, then he's going to die, and if he died, then he wouldn't be able to finish his ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Right. It wasn't time for Jesus to to die. He that was already prophesied. That was already where it needed to be. So Jesus couldn't, um, or, or the spirit wasn't leading him to go into Jerusalem at that time 
as Jesus, like, and come in and preach and all the rest of it, knowing that if he had done that, then it would be likely that the uh, that the leaders and etc. would have taken him then. And as Sashi was saying, then he wouldn't be, have been able to finish his three years. So let's continue. Verse nine. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. First time as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Cool. So Jesus, um, being wise that he couldn't just walk in there because he knows um, what would be going on in terms of the risk. He, um, he decided to disguise himself um, and go, right? And what did Jesus hear when um, he goes to the temple um, to, you know, this is probably in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles at this point. So probably, you know, in, on the Wednesday or the Tuesday of the week. Um, and he says, what, what, what happens? Verse um, 11 and 12. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Could you read that scene as well? Sorry. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Cool. All right. So I just wanted to stop here for a bit because this um, talks about quite an interesting. Um, topic um and is really talking about gossip right um and hence why the title today was whispering in the church now jesus just just to set, set the scene of what's happened right jesus has walked into the temple disguised so no one knows that jesus is there and he's hearing people talk about him right um and some people are saying okay he's good but even that they're not saying like he's good as in he is the son of God. They're just saying he's a decent man, like he's healed a few people, like he's not as bad as people are saying and other people are like, no, 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 he's, he's, a, he's a false prophet, right? And so all of this, Jesus is hearing people slander him um, in the church, right? Um, so I thought it would be a good, a good um, time to talk about gossip. So what do you guys think about gossip? In fact, what does gossip mean? kind of just like talking about people behind their back and spreading things that might not be true okay talking about people behind their back and spreading things that may not be true um do you guys agree with that um also talking about business that's just completely irrelevant to you cool talking about business that is completely irrelevant to you okay so um anything else I kind of want to um, talk about this from two different aspects, right? So um, one being the gossiper and one being the recipient of the gossip here, right? So has anyone been gossiped about in church before? As in, are you asking if we personally have been gossiped about or if 
we know that people have been gossiped about. Okay, yeah, either one of those things. So have you have you experienced someone being gossiped about in church or have you personally been gossiped about in church? Yes, both. Cool, both. Right, what are the kind of emotions and, and feelings that come up because of that? I think the first one is just why can't you talk to me in person first before you spread untruth to other people? Cool. Why did you speak? Like, let's, let's speak about that a bit more, right? Why do you speak to me in person before, um, instead of speaking to other people? Why do you think people do that? To avoid um, open conflict. To avoid conflicts <laughs> or open conflicts. Funny that they uh, they're happy to speak about your business, but they don't want the conflict to speaking to you directly. Okay. Um, what else? They want people to be on their side. You want people to be on their side. Okay. Um, I was gonna say, like, I think a lot of people do it to make them feel better about themselves. Um, putting other people down kind of like lifts up their image in a twisted way, but it does. For sure, for sure. Um, and we see that a lot with the with the Pharisees in this story as well. But um, but yeah, you guys are right, right? So, you know, you, the Bible talks about gossiping quite a lot, slander, all of this kind of thing, um, as a sin. However, generally, um, it's not treated as such. And so what do you think are like the, um, the effects within the church body of such a thing happening? Like what... Like, what do you feel? And then what do you think like, the effects are generally for people who feel like this has happened? I can just build resentment against those brothers and sisters that you don't really need to be resenting. Well, you shouldn't be resenting other, other people, other children of God, but it can build up that resentment in you. As in towards the person who's gossiping about you? Yes. It can lead to um, the person who's being gossiped about even leaving the church and eventually maybe even you know, turning, away, turning themselves away from God, especially if it's like something that's maybe bad or something. Or constantly all they're seeing is people looking at them, hearing hushed whispers. It can be really disheartening. For sure. Especially if they feel guilty already. Yeah, 100%. Mm, uh, just to like, add to that as well. Um, yeah, feelings of betrayal and then um, lack of lack of trust as well, like what Tyler's saying, like paranoia and stuff as well. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it kind of changes the church community into like a click kind of situation where people can't be open about their feelings because they know other people are talking behind their back. Deep. You know, um, what's worse, right, is, I mean, Tyler, Tyler was kind of <clears throat> linking to this already, but it's for those who, um, I don't want to say those who are weak um, in their spiritual journey, but if you've had, um, uh, if you haven't had much positive um, experiences in church already, 
and this is what you receive from church when you go like what is the likelihood that you're going to return to that atmosphere pretty low pretty low right in fact why would you stay in any circumstance that was going to be like that right if you're if if you there and and they put and the people who are talking about you preach this thing of everyone's a sinner no one is you know no one's perfect everyone's fallen short of the glory of god and this rhetoric is is thrown around a lot however in the same vein there's the same people who are then talking about and judging and saying oh did you hear this person did this or did you hear and you know what sometimes it's even in um in rhetoric of like oh did you hear you know who we really need to pray for we need to pray for this person because this this is what they're doing and somehow it's been um, it's okay now because we've, we've said that we're praying about it when actually it's nothing to do with you and you don't know the situation and you're not talking to the person it's affecting to help them you're just spreading gossip right yeah and then what happens is people end up leaving church because of it because they don't feel loved mm-hmm On the other hand, right, as a person who is being gossiped about, how do you deal with that practically? So let's let's even say that it's something that's not true, because in this case, Jesus is hearing things that aren't true. So if you're in church and people who you've respected, you've thought you had good friendships with, good relationships with, within church, you've heard that this thing is going around and these certain people are spreading it, um, how do you how do you how, how do you um react to that? Um one of my friends had had this happen kind of recently. Um some like something he had said in passing in conversation with someone spread around and it turned into a big gossip thing and, and ultimately it was about someone else. And that person came to chat to my friend and they kind of had a conversation about it. And then they went and individually went and spoke to everyone who continued to spread this thing. And unfortunately, it ended up getting a bit worse and they ended up having to have like a whole church meeting with parents and stuff there because it, obviously people like other mem- like older members were also hearing these things as well. And they had to like have a big thing to get it all out in the open to clear it, clear it up. But yeah, that's kind of how they went about it, just addressing it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, in my experience, that's what I did. I heard that this thing was going around and I went to the person um, and I said, and I confronted them straight. And um, <laughs> as I said, it did go well from there. Um, and, you know, the, the drama ensued. But it's a difficult situation because what do you do? Do you allow this thing to continue to rear its head and continue to float or do you try and defend yourself um or confront the person or whatever to try and quote unquote clear your name what do you guys think sorry say that last day again so like you have this kind of um you have this 
situation where, say, some something is being gossiped about you, whether mm. it's being true or false, yeah, um, and you have this choice whether you kind of let it go, let it run its course, let everyone like gossip, or you confront pe- the people who are gossiping about it. Right. Right. What do you think is the best avenue of go- like going in terms of either confronting the people or allowing it to? I think it is the best thing to do because at this point, any any shame that there is to be had about this thing, it's already out because people already have heard this thing and started to believe it. So you've got nothing really more to lose by confronting it. You're probably going to resolve the situation faster if you just, you know, call it out and say what it is and, you know, clear it up from earlier. But then, like, obviously there's... For some people, you know, maybe the other route might be better because they can just let it die down. But I think it's best to just confront it. Cool. What does everyone else think? I think you should just leave it by personal experience. Um, those that are gossiping about you don't have that relationship with you. So those that are around you know you know that it's not going to be true. So what's the point in trying to convert it and deal with it because we're dealing with humans. Um, if you just leave it to God, he'll do what he needs to do with it. Simple as. Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to say I agree with James, but I think it's personally as well, personal thing as well, because I know for me, especially if I know it's not true, I'd probably be able to just ignore it because I know it's not true and my friends know it's not true. So I can actually just firm it and it's not going to bother me. Um, if it was just if it was true, I think again, depending on what it is, maybe I'll just sort of you know, just oh, whatever it is, what it is. It really, I think it depends what it is and who you are as a person, if you can handle it. For some, you might have to actually confront it just so you can actually get through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I, I think there's a couple of ways to, to do options to deal with it, but I do think if you're going to confront it, like Reese was mentioning I think sometimes the issue can get escalated and it can kind of take on more than what was originally intended so I think it it is it is wise to bring you know a trusted person who's kind of able to diffuse the situation or kind of reason with the person with you and not just do it alone um because that's just protects everyone involved and just you know enables a bit more of a um a smooth discussion but i don't know that's just an option yeah i uh, i miss what uh james said but um i think personally i have wasted um too much energy um if someone's got like a certain opinion about me or a negative opinion about me that i know is not true um, I've wasted too much energy trying to change that and it's almost turned into a pride thing it's like telling them once it's like fair enough I'm like trying to like correct their lie with the truth but then if I'm like continuing then it's actually just wasting my energy and it's and it's more of a pride thing but um, I think like Naomi was saying I think it can depend and um, can depend like if that like if that information if that lie actually affects relationships that's when it becomes a more serious thing that needs to be dealt with 
for sure. I mean, let's go a little bit, um, a little bit deeper because we've said, I mean, James and Tyler both said, um, kind of, you leave it, the right people know who you are. So, you know, your friends know who you are. So um, as long as, you know, you have them and you're good, then um, you don't need to worry about the gossip. But what happens if in the situation in the situation we're reading about, Jesus' brothers and his disciples are there? Yeah, so this isn't this isn't just that, you know, the other people that are really close to you that are there murmuring about you. We have we read before that his own brothers really didn't believe him. Right. So what happens in a situation where you don't have your friends to lean on or your friends are part of the thing as well? Maybe you need new friends, I don't know, but maybe she just didn't have that option. I think, yeah, you need one new friends for sure. Um, I think it all depends on how you are personally and where your relationship is um, with with God. Like I said, when I said about leaving with God, it's because he can direct all those paths to what it needs to be, his, his outcome at the end of the day. Um, but then it just depends on how you are as a person, how you deal with things. I'm totally different to other people, so some people might mm. affect other people it won't affect because of just how I am. Um, but it's hard, for sure. It's going to be hard. And that's where your personal pride comes to. You want to try and deal with it yourself. So I don't think there's one answer that fits all. Yeah. I think bouncing off um, the points that have been made is making me think of, especially like the point that Maz made a few minutes ago. Um, it's making me just think about that fact that you are the only one that knows yourself and it can be argued that there's a limit that we even know ourselves um you know god knows us best and this this idea that it's a crazy idea that everybody has an opinion of you and you're the only one that knows you know your reasons behind certain things and your motives and all of this and it's it's crazy to think that you could know that you're the best person I, I try not to say that in a prideful way, but you could know that you're the best person and everyone else could think that you're some next waste man just because obviously these opinions they've built of, of you. And it's like your personal pride that's like, I want you to understand how amazing I am, even though that doesn't seem like a bad thing. Um, how do we feel about the idea that God loves us enough to vindicate us and to actually... Um, almost be like our personal ambassador in these situations. Um, so I, I'm actually thinking about um, Job. I'm thinking about the fact that Job, all this time, Job's friends are thinking, okay, so this righteous guy that is in our friend group, this Job, obviously he's not so righteous. Obviously there is a lot of stuff going on for God to be coming down on him like this. And it's like at the end of that, it doesn't really tell us much but there's there's literally whole chapters in Job of his friends telling him oh and this is why you need to deal with your sinful self <laughs> and I, you know when when obviously this was all the test then it wasn't actually on Job's part rather than rather so that God could be glorified and so I think sometimes we do need to it, it is true what people have said about there's sometimes where it can turn into a thing if you just leave it and let it fester but I think that you need like integrity um, from God even to, to actually know when to get involved and when not to get involved. Because sometimes we can let God fight for us. 
sure, for sure. Um, I think, to be honest, I don't think either way is a good or a bad way to deal with it, either letting it go or confronting it. I think it um, it more depends on your emotions and your um, and how you're gonna, how you're going to process it. Either way, so the danger of letting it go is that you let the situation stain you when it comes to people in church and doing things in church, right? So you just think, well, if that's what people think of me, then tutus cool i'll either not come anymore which we talked about already or be um be emotionally distant and even if it's not to all of church it'll definitely be to those people who have done that thing to you right and so you're you know it's, the danger is that you always have that resentment that my sister talks about um or this this animosity or whatever it is to someone because um, whatever it is that they've done, you are now sheltered from them, which is a natural thing that could happen. On the other side, um, confronting, you have this issue of you're confronting from a place of pride or a place of emotion. And so, you know, which happened with me and therefore the situation ended up escalating because I felt I was hard done by. Um, I felt I was justified um, in how I was reacting and that person who was receiving how I was reacting obviously thought I was being um, I don't know rude or disrespectful whatever it was and then you know they didn't have the right um, reaction as well so you have this um, this issue where you're confronting it from a bad place like if you're confronting because you you know that you're you're better than what has been said about you and what is not true or or whatever the case is and you think this person is wrong for doing that and therefore I'm going to tell them that they're wrong you're probably as bad as who as them spreading the gospel in the first place right and you're only just making the situation worse so you have this issue of um both ways can both ways can lead to very negative um results and so ultimately um as I think some of us um, have kind of alluded to, we we really need to leave it up to God. But yeah, go ahead, Tyler. I was a careful you just said. <clears throat> so you you said that they're they're the ones you know spreading the the lies and the rumors and the gossip, but then you confront them, and then they get mad because you've confronted them. Yes, but what I'm saying is there was a way to, like, it, we're talking about this, this idea of um, confronting someone and, you know, it comes from obviously the word confrontation or they come from the same root word. And if you're having a confrontation with someone, you, need, you really need to work out how and in what spirit you're doing that with. Because even if someone has wronged you, if we're trying to um, emulate the spirit of Christ, etc., you can't come to them um, and feel like you're right in doing so from a place of um, you owe me an apology. So therefore, I'm going to be upset with you and I'm go you're going to see that I'm upset with you until you give me this apology. And even then, me and you aren't going to be ramping like this anymore. That can't be the way you deal with a situation because that can never result in a good, in a good solution. All you're going to do is get this monkey off your chest, right? And so, you know, you're just per perpetuating the, the the already issue that is there from then gossiping. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. So it's not necessarily the confrontation that is bad, 
as I said, both of them, neither of them are bad or good necessarily. But what often happens is because of our emotions, because of our humanity, because we're not as connected to Christ as we should be, we end up choosing either one of those options and um, feeding whatever it is that needs to be fed because we feel hurt from what has been happening. So either you you let it, you quote unquote let it go, but as in you don't talk about it, but you never really let it go, or you talk about it and you really just you when you let go, you you let go hard, and um, and you end up either breaking that relationship, which you may feel is broken already, or making the whole situation much worse. Right. Um, cool. All right. So let's see how Jesus. Um, in fact, wait. Let's talk about from the other side point of view, because obviously um, for there to be a gossipy, there has to be a gossiper, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if gossipy is a word, but, you know, um, in the sense that, you know, it's very easy to spread um, information about people. Did you want to say something? Uh, I was, but I forgot it, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um so it comes to this idea of how do we practically stop um, gossip when we hear it? Or should we stop gossip when we hear it? Should we get involved? Wait, is the question when someone is the question similar to when someone tried to tell you like gossip, are you saying, should we then cut it then? Or how should we react? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, so if if someone is trying to gossip to you, um, how do you, how, do, how should we be reacting? Yeah. Um, one thing I'll quickly say on this is just that gossip has actually, you know, gossip, almost is a part of um, almost like just typical casual conversation. Um, and the only reason I'm saying that is just to say that it's been, you know, it's something that a lot of us do without realizing, do with, do and realize, or, you know, I'm just saying that most of us do it in some form or another, even if we're unconscious of that. Um, and so, but my thing on this would just be, if you hear gossip, um, I, I guess just, you know, just say I'm not the one. Um, don't, don't, don't be someone to actually like seek to hear people's business so that it can, so that you can take it on for what reason? If you're not part of the solution, then just remove yourself. Agreed. I mean, um, as much as I have been gossiped about, I've also gossiped as well, right? Um, and let me, I'll give you an example, right, of all of the different types of things that could be gossip that we probably, we may not see as gossip. Talking bad about a preacher. How many times um, have you talked bad about a preacher because of whatever reason? Um, but obviously you don't know the situation and you're not part of the solution. So you don't know, you probably never even, you could have never even spoken to them before, but maybe you heard a sermon or something and suddenly now it's all about their character and about them and about whatever, right? That's gossip. Um, and, you know, 
that I think that is a very popular one in our church. Um, but I think there's several others, and it can you know it can go with um, board positions. It can go with um, what's been happening on the board, what's been happening in leadership, what's been happening in friendships. It, it's it's so um, it's a cancer, and it's so easy. Oh, guess what happened? Oh, what? Oh, this happened. It's so it's and and then it's cool, and then you go, and then you're ready to tell the next person. You always want to be the one in with the information, want to be sharing the information. And it's dangerous because whoever you're talking about feels the same way you would feel if they were talking about you. And so, yeah, go ahead. What was the phrase you used about not being a part of the solution? Um, what, if you're not part, if, if you're um, part of the problem, you're not part of the solution, Matt? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so if specifically when we talk about church leadership, right, and pastors and stuff like that, we're generally, if we're heart on our heart, um, hands on our heart right now, have ever been a solution to a pastor, right? Maybe someone here has, I don't want to say general, um, wise sweeping comments, but generally, like if we're speaking about a preacher that we generally um, listen to, someone who we've listened to on YouTube, someone that we've, um, someone from America, someone from London, someone from whoever, and you hear about a story, suddenly there's now judgment, judgment. Oh, how could they be telling me about this if X, Y, Z happens? I've done this before, right? And who am I to be judging them? I don't know about their life. I don't know about what they've done. Um, I don't know the situation. I don't even know if what I've heard is true. So how, <laughs> how much could you even, um, is it fair to judge them on that versus the blessings that they may have given you from you hearing their preaching? Um, and so this, uh, this idea of gossip and talking about people by their back is something that really needs to be like cut quickly. So in terms of practical ways to do it, as soon as you hear it, you need to eat, but both warn the person who's telling you that, you know, we shouldn't be spreading things like this around and also check yourself that you know you're not absorbing you're not allowing people to talk to you because gossiping takes two people one person to talk and another person to listen um okay cool any other points on that before we we move on um points about like being the gossipy in particular, or um, gossiping about um, church leaders? Um, either, either. Um, there was one time I um, experienced someone putting a stop to gossip right away um, in front of, it was in an AY session and it was, um, yeah, it was like done like, stop like publicly do you know what I mean and it was quite um it was done in quite a respectable way um in case you guys are looking for examples basically um um someone in a Y had brought up um um something that happened in church they were like yeah like um the person that did that one time like that was crazy and um, another sister stood up and was like, hang on a second, you guys don't know what was going on there. That's not right. Like, we shouldn't 
that's not for us to talk about and it's not for us to talk about here um and she said and that's all I'm gonna say about it do you know what I mean so she didn't drag it on she didn't explain what was really going on because she understood it wasn't her place to it wasn't her truth to tell um but she let the whole church know like be careful we're crossing a um a boundary we're violating a boundary that that's not for us to cross basically yeah Sure, thanks for that. Um, can someone read quickly um, Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11? A man is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he is such is subverted and sinners being condemned of himself. Cool. Um, does someone have that in a different version? Because it might be a bit um yeah, that's a little bit. yeah what's the bus titus titus chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 if someone has it in a I've different got... version just um because the it has words that we may not understand guys i've got it in um kjv uh, actually, no, Imita was that what, what you just read it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we have another, no that's how it Yeah. Uh, wait, 10 to 11? Yeah. What a divisive person wants, and then mourn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self condemned. Cool. What is that saying? It's kind of like two chances and then don't say nothing more. Like, say it twice and then after that, that's it. Like, keep it moving from there. Mm. I, I, I like what you just said, Lene, I keep it moving. Because it's like one of those things, have a conversation with them once, maybe have a conversation with them twice, it's saying. And if they're content, don't, don't go to, don't constantly go to war over this thing if you're seeing that they're choosing to be a certain way. Um, what does it mean by um, <clears throat> uh, a, di- a divisive person? What does divisive mean, guys? Or a divisive person? I think it might just be that, like someone who stirs the pot kind of thing, causes contentions, that kind of thing. Cool, right? So we're saying basically... If someone is coming who is a divisive person, someone who stirs the pot, comes to you and wants to tell you some something that you shouldn't be hearing, right? It says, warn them once, then warn them twice. Once you've warned them twice and they're still doing it, have nothing to do with them. Yeah? Nathan Linnea said, keep it moving. Yeah, because if you allow them to still stay in your space, then they're gonna corrupt whatever you know the church and the churches um, um, and and your your spirit when it comes to things of of the church, right? And we don't like that because we we like to give people chances. We you know you know uh, you know they might not be a nice guy to to reject them. The Bible says you need to reject them. 
that means like that's it. Friendship cut off. Done. Me and you are good from here on out. That's how serious this whole gossiping thing is. Give them two warnings and then it's done. But yeah. Um, any other points on gossip before we, we carry on with the story? Um, with that thing about cutting them um, off, that's like such a, pro- a protection. Um, what's the word? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, for, it's for protection for real because um, if they're gossiping about other people, like what's to say that they're not gossiping about you as well? Um, so yeah, so protecting your own energy, but also like protecting like your own, um, yeah, like private life and stuff. For sure, for sure. Cool. All right, let's um let's read um from verse fourteen. So we just read there was a lot of murmuring among the people concerning him. Uh, for some said he's a good man, others said nay, he's deceiving the people. But no one spoke openly because of fear of um, the Jews. So even those who like believed in Jesus and thought he was a good man, they couldn't, they didn't say anything. No one piped up. Yeah, okay, verse 14. Now about the myth of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Cool. <laughs> so this is how Jesus responded to all of the murmurings and all of the, is Jesus who really, who he says he is and is he deceiving people and all the rest of it? Jesus went, okay, say no more. And he just went, he, he just, in the middle of the feast, he just got up to, to the front and just started teaching. Yeah, verse 15. And the Jews marveled, saying, how know if this man letters? Having never learned. We can continue to verse. Um, we can actually continue to verse 24. So we could do two verses each and then we can um, summarize. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine but he's who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he, he he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keep the law. Why go ye about to kill me? That's when you Jesus answered and said unto him, I have done one work. Um, I have done one work and ye all marvel. Keep going. 
Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. Last If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, and the law of Moses should not be broken, and ye are angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous con- judgment. So let's, let's summarize. Let's go back up to um, verse 16. Jesus says, My doctrine is not mine, but it is for him that sent me. If any man does his will, he shall know of um, the doctrine, whether it be from God or whether it be from, um, or whether I speak for myself. He that speaketh for himself, he speaketh for his own glory, but him that seeketh his glory that sent him, the, true, um, the same is true, and no righteous, uh, unrighteousness is in him. What's, what I get from this text is often we have, um, we, we share tainted water to people. And what I mean by that is we're, we're said to be containers, right? In which the Holy Spirit can fill us and then we give to others. And we're going to speak about that process a little bit more in a minute. But if it is that your container has a little bit of... Um, a little bit of Ribena squash in there, what's going to happen when the water goes in there? It's going to have the horrible taste of blackcurrant. It's going to taste like blackcurrant, right? Someone's going to say, give me the water, and it's going to taste like blackcurrant. Say if there's no, um, say if there's no blackcurrant in there, but the bottle itself or the container itself is dirty, what happens when you give someone a drink? Tastes like dirt. <laughs> it tastes like that. It tastes like that. And so unless our container, right, is clean and we're actually giving the thing that we receive and not our own thing, then how can we ever expect someone who needs water to drink from us and actually get coached at first? Yeah? Moving on. Um, what does Jesus say next? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna drag us back to the last point, if okay. that's okay. Yeah, okay. Um, what does this mean for us when we we know that witnessing about Jesus is a good thing? We know that attempting to help our fellow men get on the street and narrow is a good thing, but we're hearing here. And we hear it at other places in the Bible, you know, take out the beam out of your own eye before you go and look upon your brother. But, um, you know, we're hearing here to make sure our container, make sure our example is clean before we start chatting to others. Do we take that? Do we take that literally? And I really feel like we could, but I'm asking, like, so do we just trust ourselves when it comes to, like, um, I guess speaking out or speaking up to certain people until we know that we're we're in a good place. Um, I think that I I think that that ideology is dangerous because um, if you say right, I'm not going to say anything until I'm in a good place. It's akin to what I said at the start of the study. I'm not sure if you were here, but um, 
if I said, oh, you know what, I'll wait till I'm 30, that was Jesus's age. Um, and then I'll, I, I can start um, ministering to people and I can start witnessing because um, Jesus didn't do anything until he was 30. And that's a dangerous, it's a dangerous idea because you end up not doing anything. You end up um, procrastinating or not sharing. So the point is not, um, oh, if my bottle is dirty, then let me share no water. The point is clean your bottle. You get what I'm saying? Loud and clear, bro. Cool. There is never you can't you can't say to God at the end um, when the judgment comes. Oh, um, so I'm going to use Nathan as an example because he said because he said his name Nate and um, because he brought this point. Nathan, oh, so uh, what? So how, who did you? Why? How come you didn't share? Oh well, you know, God, I was just I was waiting for my bottle to get clean. You know, I didn't want to didn't want to share any murky water. It's like. <laughs> I'm here to clean your bottle. So, you know, I, we could have cleaned that bottle for a long time. You could have been sharing, but you decided to no, not share because your bottle was dirty. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what is, um, any other points on that? Before continue? Okay, cool. Um, so what is Jesus saying after that? For verse 19 to 24. That's a little bit mad. Verse 19, did Moses give you the law and yet none of you keep it the law? Why go ye about to kill me? That's a little bit sharp. <laughs> like, Moses gave you the law, you're not keeping it. What do the people say in response? The people answered and said, thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? See, this, this, that's where I think it gets a bit sharp. Imagine you, you saying, um, you saying, oh, rah, boy, someone tried to mug me on the street. So guys, you got a devil in you. There's, he, no one tried to mug you on the street. That's a, that's a harsh, that's a harsh um, thing to say. You know, hmm. they didn't say, you, oh, you're lying, or I didn't see anyone trying to kill you. He, they said, you got a devil in you. He told you that, you're gonna, um, that he should kill me, right? Hmm. And then what does Jesus say? I have done one work, you all marvel. Cool. What, is he, what work is he talking about? The wine at the party? Not the wine at the party, mainly because not a lot of people were there to see it. Oh, true, true, true. So maybe the feeding of the 5,000. Not even the feeding of the 5,000, funnily enough, because... Um, He's specifically talking about a place. I mean, it'll become more, maybe it'll become more obvious as we go through into the second, um, in verse 22, it says, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, um, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, mm. and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, and ye are angry at me because I have made a man um, very wet hole on the Sabbath day. What, is he, what are they talking about? He's talking about the guy he healed on the Sabbath day and all the scribes and the priests one here Cool. So a few um, a few months ago, we did a um, we did a study called um, I think it's called Thirty Eight Years Poolside, something like that, um, in which Jesus healed a man um, and told him 
he's he's been there for for thirty eight years. I I think he is thirty eight years. Um, and he gets up and Jesus says, "Pick up your mat and and sin no more." Um, at first he doesn't say sin no more yet. He says, "Pick up your mat and go." So the guy, the man, picks up his mat and he he runs in um, to the temple and he's happy. And the people and the the, the Pharisees are like, "Oh, were well, you healed?" And he's told you to pick up your mat because it's Sabbath and you shouldn't be pick up your mat on the Sabbath. And the man says, "Oh, well, the man who healed me." Um, told me to pick up my mat and walk, so this is what I'm doing, you know. And they said, "Oh, who told you?" And he didn't know that Jesus was Jesus at this point, so he was like, "Well, I don't know." Um, and then Jesus ends up coming to him after the Pharisees left the Pharisees and told him, "Oh, I'm Jesus. Go and sin no more." And then the man went back to the Pharisees and says, "It was Jesus who did who told me." And then from then on in, the Pharisees have not liked Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath and told him to pick up his bed. And so this is what this is referring to. So when it says, I have done one work and you all have marveled, it's talking about healing that man at the pool of Bethesda. Yeah? Then what does he go on and say? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Cool. What what is the context of that given the last two verses? What is he saying about Moses and circumcision? It's not so much about outwardly appearances, it's about what's on the inside. For sure, right? So much mm. so. This is how crazy the, the ideology is, right? A, a, a baby would be born, right? And on the eighth day of their life, um, a, a male child, they would need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses and from before, right, from Abraham, right? Eighth birthday, uh, sorry, eighth day after your birth, you need to be circumcised. However, obviously, people were born at different times. So, you know, I guess um, a seventh of the children would have the eighth day um, on the Sabbath. So because they would, didn't want to break the circumcision law, they would circumcise them on the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, well, you who feel like this thing is cleansing you and making you part of God's children, God's chosen and all this, and you're circumcising them on the Sabbath and you think that's okay because you're fulfilling the law, how much more, I'm cleansing this man's whole body, let alone his, the circumcision, I'm giving him a whole new thing. And you're saying that somehow that's bad on the Sabbath. Look at the, the heart, I'm trying to, like, look at the heart, look at the fact that I'm trying to help people on the Sabbath and not just adhere to the laws that, uh, that you're talking about, judge people rightly, yeah? And this is how what Jesus is talking about when um, when, when I said before in terms of um, cleaning that, that pot, making, um, being cleansed, it's talking about like that inside, the, 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 the healing that Jesus is giving people is not just the fact that they can walk, but it's a whole, you know, what we talked about being um, born again a few weeks ago. Um, being a new creature, that's that's the kind of healing that we're that we're healing, hearing about with Jesus. Okay, let's continue. So, um, verse twenty-five, and let's read up to. Um, we're going to read up to about thirty-nine, but we'll read up to thirty-six originally, and then we'll do those three verses after. 
chapter 7, verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speak publicly. They are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where the man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. And then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Verse 30, then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Last couple of verses. The Jews said to another, to one another, where did this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Did we say stop at 36 or read 36? Yeah, that's one. Okay. What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Cool. All right. So what I find funny, right, is we... We saw in verse kind of 12, 13, um, 11, 12, 13, that the people were kind of unsure about Jesus. Um, they weren't really, they didn't really believe him. Um, and all it took was from Jesus to say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to all that um, in the sense that I'm not going to let it dishearten me. Um, he just stood up and started te teaching. And as he's teaching, more and more people are saying, wait a minute, this guy is sounding like the Messiah, this, this guy, and they're marveling and they're like, oh, right, okay, fair enough. Um, and even the, and people are starting to say, right, the, the, the Pharisees and them are kind of saying, right, we need to take this guy out. And and because his time had not yet come, no one could lay their hands on him. I don't know how that is even possible, but um, it was just too, the, I guess there's too many people there, too many people loving to hear what he was saying. And it was just, it couldn't be, it wasn't possible that, someone could come and pick him up in that scenario, right? Okay, then we get to the, these three verses, right? Um, and we skipped over a little bit, but I just want to focus on these three verses because um, these verses are almost um, a, a, a big part of what I wanted to get to today, right? So if we could just read um, verse 37, 38 and 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
He that believes on me, as the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Cool. All right. What is Jesus talking about here? Um, so, I think it's about being righteous. Okay, go a bit, like, expand a bit more. So, like, if you're if anyone is thirsty, then come to me. And he that believes on me, his belly will flow with rivers of living water. So, like, I think he's talking about if people want righteousness, they want to be, like, proper, true righteousness. If you come and believe with me, then you will have that in abundance, I think is what he's saying. Cool. And what is, it, what is he saying the, the water is? And it, it, Living water. The spirit, right? So Jesus is saying, if any man is thirsty, come to me and let him drink. Right? He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let's break this down. Right? Do we want this? We want the Holy Spirit, right? I think that's that's a pretty obvious uh, thing to say yes to, right? Yep. Question, guys. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but verse 39, where it's talking about, um, well, verse 38 and 39, out of you know, he that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So is it is it referencing is it referencing the fact that like the Bible, um, like the prophets or like the the apostles back in the day, so Peter and Paul and them look, it's like there were times where they laid hands on people and it's like they gave off the spirit of God, if you get me. Is is it is it also referencing that? When it says, like, you know, he that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So the fact that you won't just have enough for you, you'll have it for other people as well. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're coming. Say no more. Okay. But yeah, let's deal with 37 first. But we're coming there right now. Right? So it says, uh, so generally would accept, right, we want this, we want this whole belly full of living water. Remember when we spoke about um, the woman at the well? It's about this thing of, you know, I'll give you this water that you'll never thirst again. This is the kind of water that Jesus is talking about, right? So generally we want this water. I think that's, that's pretty um, easy to, to surmise. However, it talks about um, three things in this verse, right? It says, if any man thirst, what does that mean? If anyone is thirsty. Cool. So, so what, what is he saying when he says, if any man thirsts? If you recognize that you need the water. Cool. You need to recognize you need the water. Number one. Right? If you want the water, you need to recognize you need the water. You can't get any water if you're not thirsty. Hello. Can I just say something quickly? Yeah. There's a difference between thirsty and dehydrated, you know. And um, I hear a lot that some people are so dehydrated that they never feel the feeling of thirst because they don't even realise that it's water that they need. Mad. Mad. 
<laughs> I think I think it's easy to say everyone is dehydrated, but not everyone's thirsty. I think that's what Mazis is getting at. Nathan or Tyler? Nathan, go ahead. No, I don't think Nathan's speaking anymore. Okay. Any other points? No? Okay, cool, cool. All right. So, yeah, first, right? If any, if any man first. So, first, you need to realise that you're thirsty. All right, Maz, great point. You could be very much dehydrated, but not thirsty. Thirsty, for someone to feel thirsty or to feel hungry... You need, you're actually sitting there thinking, I want something to drink. I need something to drink. Let me find some water. That's what happens when you're thirsty. If you're dehydrated, you can feel sick, you can feel whatever, whatever, but you may not actually feel, as Maz would say, thirsty. You need to actually realise that you need something to drink, number one. Number two, what's next? You have to realise that you can't get it from conventional places. Cool, break that down. Um, I think that this whole concept of living water, um, I guess the, the way that I grew up on understanding it is that you're getting something, but it's not satisfying you. And so this stuff that you're getting from conventional places is something, but it's it's not it's not satisfying. It's not living water. It might be some form of water, but it's it's not alive mm. um and therefore and, and you're actually starting to feel that and to actually become aware of the fact that the normal tap that i'm going to it just doesn't bang um people that drink water will know that it tastes different mm-hmm. from different sources and you know what we're gonna t- we're gonna realize what the difference is between the living water and this other water that we'd be drinking right in a minute but yes we need to come to the right source it says let him come He's the first, so you need to realise that you're thirsty, and then you need to realise where you get it from. You need to come to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's given up this, this living water. If you don't come to Jesus, you're not getting any living water. All right, so you need to come. And what's the third thing? Drink. Drink, yeah? What does drink it? What's, what's, it's very self-explaining to you, but what is, what is Jesus um, drinking talking about? What? The word, but what is it about the like? What are you doing when you're drinking? You're consuming the word. You're consuming, you're consuming yeah. So let's talk about it in a church context. You could feel like you need to go to church, right? Cool. You then come to church, great. But unless you're like actually taking what happens, like it says a Bible study in church, um, if you're not actually taking in drinking it, digesting it, so it's actually becoming a part of you, then really the water didn't do anything for you. Hence, the church didn't do anything for you. Yeah, so you not only need to recognise your need for church, you need to get to church, you need to actually take what church is giving you. Same with Bible study. And when I say church, I don't mean the church building, I mean any form of of, um, commune, um, fellowship with with um, same-minded people. So this could be this Bible study. You need to realise you, you, you need Bible study. You need to go to the Bible study, but then you need to actually take what the Bible study is saying. Otherwise, the living water is useless. And how do we know that we're actually getting the living water? This is what Nathan was talking about. How do we know that we get, we're getting the living water? Be doers of the word. 
the doers of the word. What do you mean? Nathan, over to you. This this was this was in the uh, in the devotion yesterday. No, um, um I think thirty second breakdown. Actually, go ahead, no, Ruben. You're more no, eloquent I, than me. I've got this, you know. I've got this. Um, there's this verse that I read this week that said, um, it was talking about keeping the law, and it was saying that you know we don't keep the law because we're perfect, but keeping the law is a sign that we are being slash will be perfected, if that makes sense. You know, it's it's allowing God to actually work through you and do something that you can't do in yourself. So I'd, I'd say that, you know, if it, it feels like it's quite like theor- theologically easy answer to go for, maybe the direct one to go for, but I think I'm, I'm praying for a greater understanding of how true that is, that actually the sign that, we've got the living water the sign that it's working is that we actually are able to keep his law I was uh, sorry sorry Kyle let me just um, say this I I was just thinking for me on this concept of what is living water I would have said that it's just the, the, the condition that Jesus gave in this thing was that anyone that comes to me and gets the water from me will not fast again. So if you notice that you are actually being satisfied, then that's how you know that you, you're, you're getting living water. Interesting. Tyler? I was going to say, you should feel a change as well. Like, you've now got the water. There's some, there should be something different. There should be like a bounce, a buoyance. Like, you've actually got, you've consumed, like, the word. You you know, you should actually feel something different. Cool. All right. Let me Let me tell you guys what the the um the 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 telltale sign is because I'll 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 put a spanner in the works. Nathan, if if it was that you you needed to feel satisfied, um there's too many things in this world that can that can at least momentarily satisfy you. And so you may feel like you know the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it, right? So there could be so many things that happen and you go, oh that was that was a good study, or um, that was a, a. Oh, I felt, I felt that, I felt it. So therefore, it's good, right? But then two twos, a couple of weeks time, you feel exactly the same. Yeah, um, same with similar point with Tyler, right? And so, it's not a, it's not living water because you're filled, and it's not living water because you're satisfied. It's living water because of verse thirty-eight. What does verse 38 say? Ask that question again. What does that verse 38 say? He that believeth in me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What is he talking about? I want to say that when you have living water, it doesn't stay inside you. You can't keep it to yourself. And so it flows out. Exactly. Um, the Holy Spirit is never um, described as a lake. It's never described as a sea or as um, a body of water, a reservoir. That's what happens when you're satisfied by other things. The, the Holy Spirit is described as a river or as a fountain because it flows, it flows into you 
and then it flows out of you. That's how you characterize the living water. If you if you if you think you've got living water, but actually you're just sitting down and you're just quite satisfied and oh, this this Bible study is very good. Oh yeah, that that, that felt good. Um, all right, say no more. And you don't do anything with it. And that's not just um, it's changing you, but also are you sharing? What is your ministry? How is this affecting your ministry? How is it affecting your life practically? Are people experiencing Jesus through you because of what you're reading and because of what you're studying? That is how you know whether you're actually getting living water or not. If it's just staying inside you, it's not living water. Jesus says, out of your belly flows rivers of living water. That's not just a little bit either. That's proper. That's like if someone says out of your belly is flowing something, it's not like it's not dripping. It's like a, the tap is on and it's on full. Is someone going to say something? Um, I saw someone unmute their mic. I can't remember who it was. No. Okay. Um, and the, that that flowing that we're talking about is the Holy Spirit, as verse thirty nine says, right? Does anyone have any have any comments before we we wrap up with this last bit? Um, he that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said. So it's so obviously it's one thing us to look in the Bible and actually see how people believed, what the examples of belief were in the Bible. Um, it is like a condition that Jesus gives. So don't invent your own type of belief in me actually look to see what my follow what my followers were doing look mm. to see what people that believed in me were doing and then out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water for sure for sure good point cool all right let's just um finish up the the chapter um so let's just read from verse 45 um to the end so 53 Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. From verse 45, yeah? Yeah. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Cool, let's just there a second. So the chief priests are hearing Jesus preach, and they're getting more and more angry. And they're like, look, mm -hmm. just go take this man. Look, we don't care anymore. Just look, go and pick this guy up, arrest him and bring him here. Then they come back almost smiling, chatting with each other, um, and they're kind of strolling back. And then they get into the room and the, and the Pharisees are like, what? What are you doing? Where's the guy? And, he, and they're, they're just, they just look up to him. A man never spoke like that. And he's like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? You were there to arrest the man. You had one job. Grinning teeth and looking, looking at me in my face. Right? Mm. So yeah, let's carry on. Verse 47. Then answered, then the, sorry, then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? 
Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? And the joke, the joke is, um, yeah, one of the Pharisees actually has, but we're going to read that right now. So, yeah. No, but this mob knows, this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was, a one, was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? So, so Nicodemus, right, who is now fully converted, no, I'm sorry, not converted, convicted, in terms of Jesus being um, the Messiah, right? And so Nicodemus is still a Pharisee, but he's kind of... Um, he, he's not quite ready to arrest him and all this because he knows that Jesus, he's had that discussion with him where we talked about him um, meeting him in the night and all the, none of the rest of the Pharisees know that he's met with him but he's he heard the whole John 3.16 because they loved the world they gave his only begotten son um, and so Nicodemus ain't quite uh, kind of wants to change the tide so <laughs> he's like oh should I uh, I don't think we should be judging a man like this. Uh, you know, we should probably know a bit more about him, or at least, you know, talk to him a bit. Like, why, why are you guys ready to, to arrest him and kill him already? Um, and so Nicodemus is kind of showing his, his true colours a little bit, right? Verse 52 and 53. I think just as well, the joke is that what he says, um, does our Lord judge any man before it? Number one, hears him. And number two, knows what he does. Um, is Aren't those the kind of what Nicodemus got out of his conversation with Jesus? That he actually heard him and learned a little bit more about what he was doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that, that those were the words he used. For sure, for sure. Good point. Reading from 52, yeah? Yeah, just 52, 53. Um, they answered here. They answered and said to him, "Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee." Um, Fifty-three, and everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Great, right? So I think this. I think this whole interaction with the Pharisees and Nicodemus is hilarious. First, they come back. Um, the 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 soldiers come back, or the um, the guards come back, and, and they're that they don't even remember that they were told to go pick him up. And they're like, so where is he then? And he's like, oh, like, oh this guy, he's just, he's just amazing. And they're like, what? Um, so what, did any of the Pharisees even believe in him? You're, you are deluded. And then one of the Pharisees are like, well, actually, um, maybe we should maybe hear him out before we, uh, we, we judge him. And especially as, as we've been pointed out, you know, you need to, actually hear what he says and actually see what he does before you actually judge him as a person and so much so we need to do the same and then they say well oh so Nicodemus you're from Galilee too are you (laughs) and then they say go go look in the books and see if any man any prophet has come out of Galilee the joke is there are prophets that have come out of Galilee and Jonah was a prophet he he um, was born maybe a couple miles outside of Galilee, right? And there's a couple uh, others that were um, born, um, who lived around the same area as Galilee. 
So actually, there were a couple of prophets that came out of Galilee. So, so in every situation, the Pharisees don't know what they're talking about. And then it ends by them just saying, and everyone, everyone just went to their own house. It's like, it's this, and they're just being so ridiculous. And this is the point in which the Pharisees kind of said, right, we need to start planning to, to, to sort this guy out. And this is where the whole, um, this is maybe a year to six, six months um, um, to a year before his crucifixion. So, um, yeah, so this is where, you know, we're, we're moving towards that. But so that is the end of chapter seven. And we'll be jumping um, into chapter eight next week. But yeah, any other points before we close? I think there's a degree of, um, in what the Pharisees say in verse 52, there's a degree of sticking to what you know and having something, you know, because it's been done before, it's right, and getting into that kind of way of thinking. So, you know, if, Tyler, you're running something, you're doing something, and I'm there like, I ain't never seen no elder or deacon or anything do this, then I'm there like, yo, uh, you know, I ain't never seen nothing like that before, so it must be wrong. And that seems to be the mindset that they're speaking from, even if they're being salty and foolish with it in um, verse 52. Whereas, you know, uh, it's, it's even little things like now where how many of our kind of older generation sometimes go out of their way and seem to demonize technology and that kind of thing, you know? And it's this idea like it's never been done, you know? We've not done this kind of like that before, before. So it, it can't be right. And then, but you've got this mindset that actually, you know, Nicodemus is still maintaining like, no, see what they do, see how they behave. What do they say about themselves? Judge the whole picture rather than just saying, oh, this is unfamiliar. We weren't expecting this. So it must be bad. Any others? So yeah, just two, um, just two main, Two main points today. Um, first, to think about how um, gossiping affects your life and how we can um, try as we become a new generation in church um, and people have got to try and um, squash it as much as possible because we know from many of us from experience of how hurtful it can be. Um, and also to judge whether we actually have this water and judge whether it is actually flowing um, or whether we're drinking of other waters and it's sitting in our stomach instead of flowing out. Um, and so those, those are the two, the two things to take away, if nothing else from today. Um, but yeah, if we can pray, um, if... Um, Ruben, could you pray for us to close, please? Sure. Our heads. Father in heaven, um, I'm thanking you for the opportunity again to be able to come together and to read your word. And thank you because, you know, I wasn't here for all of it, but what I've been able to hear has been a blessing. And yet, Lord, how easy is it for us to be stagnant and to kind of convince ourselves that we're yours without actually having any life-changing experience with you? And you're inviting us to drink of waters that are going to change us forever and are going to change our surroundings and 
change the way that we live, but also the impact that we make on the world. And I think, you know, it's so easy to be worried and afraid of that and to want to control everything instead of giving ourselves up for you and letting you make the ripples that you want to make. But we know that this fountain of water that you're talking about is one that will never be the same again. And if we're willing to step into that with you, then you will sort us out and make sure that we're never thirsty again. Um, Lord, thank you that your word says we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that when all is said and done, we know that the glory is for you and not for us. And I'm praying that you'll please continue to be with us, Lord, because, you know, it's, it's taxing sometimes or it feels taxing to apply the lessons that we've learned and to really, you know, take time and try and meet you here in our Bible study. But I'm praying that this message that we've heard, you will not let it kind of slip away from us this week, but that it will come up again and we'll see that you're actually bringing us towards your life. Um, and please help our tongues as well, help us to be better in terms of communication and gossiping. Now, I wasn't there for that part of the message, but Lord, you know that we need that help. Help us to be able to bless each other with our words. And um, thank you for everything and for the plans that we have this evening. And I'm praying that you'll help us to go in your strength. Amen. 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 Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. See you next week. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Week Bye. Bye. Bye.